Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from comedian Alex Horn, creator of hit UK entertainment format Taskmaster, about its endurance through lockdown and international success story. And TVNZ director of content Kate Slater on raising the profile of Kiwi output on the global stage. Taskmaster started out as a stage show from UK comedian Alex Horn at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2010. Having made the leap to television, it's now on its 11th season on Channel 4, with the UK version from Avalon having sold to 94 countries, with remakes in territories from the Nordics to New Zealand. Horn spoke to Nico Franks about Taskmaster's enduring appeal, how the shows kept going throughout the pandemic, and the shifting dynamics between TV and online. In many ways, you know, with Taskmaster, um, you know, participants doing the tasks on their own, usually outside, minimal reliance on a studio studio audience and no big cash prices, you kind of created the perfect COVID format. So how's it been producing it in a COVID? Has it been radically different? Well, I need to stress that's a coincidence that it works in COVID. I, I'm not responsible for COVID. Um, but yeah, it's been a challenge to an extent. I mean, it, it's definitely been a challenge challenge because we're no longer able to be within two meters of each other on camera that's our rule here and all the crew have to wear masks all the time we have a lot of tests we have a lot of washing the. i find that washing the hands is one of the worst things about covid so it is it is tricky but we have also been able to make the show so every day we do feel grateful uh, to be going to work and work's turned into our social life as well i suppose when we turn up on set that's when we see other people so it's been brilliant being able to do the show in these circumstances and it's been brilliant the show haven't haven't been hugely affected but it's definitely a different show to pre-covid and you, and you say it doesn't rely on a studio audience and it's definitely worked without an audience but it's different we, we haven't got that bare atmosphere instead it's a really intense situation where the seven of us are glaring at each other and um and you're not making the people in the room laugh but hopefully making the people at home laugh in terms of what it looks like on screen it doesn't feel radically different so was that was that kind of the main goal with the latest season on channel four i suppose so it was strange so we moved to channel four just as the pandemic began and we always promised our well viewers that we wouldn't change the show at all and then the pandemic happened so we changed everything about it because i mean we didn't you say it doesn't look different i'm really glad about that but again the contestants have to be two meters apart in the studio there isn't an audience and all the studio tasks they have to be socially distanced so um i think our aim was to adhere to all the rules but also make it look aesthetically pleasing so the studio is opened up a lot and instead of the audience we've got a bigger stage for them to sit on so i think it does when you look back at old series when they're sitting right on top of each other it does look remarkably different but hopefully we've created something that stands up and and you won't look back at it and think well that's that was weird but who knows this whole year is going to prove to be pretty weird i think when we look back and you're one of a select few people who have uh, come up with a format for a tv show and um a game show and appear on screen as well you and richard osman and uh, probably a few Mm. others that i can't think of right now but um tell me a bit about yeah how taskmaster came to be yeah it's very different from richard osman in that we we talk a lot because he was uh in the second series of the show so i've always sought him out for advice really because i'm a very much an accidental tv producer and i don't really like thinking of myself with that phrase because I'm, I'm a comedian who did a stupid thing at the edinburgh festival in 2009 which was one out well it's meant to be an hour-long show it turned into a three-hour-long show where for the past year i'd invited my best mates on the comedy circuit to do some tasks one a month and for this show at the edinburgh festival 
I told everyone what happened and revealed the results. And that was meant to be it. And it was meant to be a bit of a laugh. But it proved to be really interesting to watch and quite intriguing. And definitely it felt like we touched a nerve. So we eventually turned it into a TV show, which I was never going to be the host of. So I got my colleague, Greg Davis, the better and stronger comedian than me to host it. And I'm his little assistant. Uh, so I've sort of learned how to make a TV show by making a TV show, whereas most TV shows are invented, I think, by TV producers or TV production companies. And so they're often following traditional rules, I suppose, or they know what broadcasters are looking for and they know what things are more likely to be commissioned. So this was this was none of those things. This was just an idea that existed and it got rejected by everyone for a couple of years. And then eventually somebody, Dave, took a risk on it and it worked. But I think part of the selling point is that it's made by comedians. So the people we have on it trust us. And yeah, it, we don't come from a past of trying to desperately come up with formats that might work. Nothing against TV producers, but it's come, it's come from a slightly different place. And how involved are you in the international versions of the show? Because it's been um, remade in countries including so Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, New Zealand, and I think Portugal is next on the list. So how involved in those reversions are you? Well, I would like to say involved enough, but not too much in that I think we have the option of getting very involved and they always have the option of asking us for advice. But I don't know anything about Finnish TV or Portuguese TV. So I don't want to say to people, this is how you need to make it. I think we trust them that they will do a good job. I I know the production company Avalon make sure that the people who are going to make it are good people with a good track record. So I'm mainly there to answer the phone and reply to emails with suggestions and and advice as to how we make the show. And we give them a sort of task Bible with lots and lots of detail of how we make the show. We try to go over there, me and one of the Andys. We've got two Andys. Andy Devonshire is the director and the Cartwright is the producer. Two or three of us will try to go to the country once, but that's partly because that's a really fun thing to do. But I think it is good to make contact with people and just to see. So we went to one country and I think it was Iceland. Uh, It was very cold, but they um, were far more relaxed about being secretive about the tasks than we were. And we did say, I think one of the big things of the show is that the contestants don't talk to each other until they get to the studio about what they do. So we do occasionally say things like that, but in general, we let them get on with it. I mean, I'd say that there there are differences. Uh, New Zealand, made by Kevin and co. We have had lots of conversations with Bronwyn and Cam there because, well, partly because they're English speakers and the programme is an English-speaking programme. So, you know, the the Swedish or the Flemish ones, I can only say so much about the actual jokes. Whereas in New Zealand, I know lots of the people involved and it feels slightly closer to our original. So, So that one has been more of a joint process I think but equally again they've just got on with it they, they're really good producers so I think the key is picking a good producer One of the markets it hasn't been remade in is the US and that's always had a, a bit of a strange relationship with panel shows like a very British kind of institution that hasn't really translated over to the States but obviously the finished version got sold that's the finished not the finish Yeah version. yeah that would be weird if that one made it <laughs> got sold to the US uh, last year partly because of the pandemic I think of schedule kind of some shows not being able to get made um yeah it didn't have a great run on the, in no, the states a brief run yeah but um in terms of kind of how you that must have just felt like i guess quite an unexpected bonus i suppose or am i doing yeah, it was a pretty peculiar no no it's a very peculiar situation because like you say it was right in the middle of the first pandemic i can't remember when but maybe june july last year and i think you i think what you said is right i think they bought it to um see if it would fill a gap for them and it was off the back again i think of something we did call home task which was where when we shut down we couldn't film for a couple of months so we set tasks for people at home to keep people occupied and families did it and people by themselves did it and we put montages up of the best ones on YouTube and that got 
got huge interest and huge take up in America and Canada and actually all over the world, but particularly North America. So I think the channel there, CW, maybe saw that and, and thought there is an, a potential audience for it. Uh, I don't think it did the numbers they wanted it to on the terrestrial TV, but they put it on their online channel and there it's done fine, I think. And and the YouTube channel, the Toastmaster YouTube channel is doing really well in America. So I think they also are scratching the heads thinking, well, it, people in America seem to like it. How do we make them watch it on telly rather than YouTube? So I don't know what the answer is there. I mean, I'm mainly interested in, uh, well, I'm not, uh, all I want is for people to enjoy it. And so when people get in touch and say, we've watched every series on YouTube, that's kind of enough for me. But having said that, it'd be lovely to be on a on a proper network, I suppose. But it, it is, I don't understand the channels at all over there. I don't understand, you know, the late, late shows get small numbers, really, but then huge numbers with their YouTube clips. So it's 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 so different to how things work here that I, I'm, I'm definitely not qualified to give any real opinions. And yeah, I suppose it's interesting. Similarly, all those late, late show kind of style shows have tried to be done in the UK and never really taken off. Yeah, they're very different markets. I mean, also, I sort of see America as, I, I don't think I'm alone in this, as 50 different countries. So I think, you know, things like Britain's got talent, the Americans got talent version. You can see why both those shows work because they are just big, broad things, whereas something a bit niche and Taskmaster is definitely a culty program. It's going to do well to break through that, especially when it's Greg Davis and I. And Greg has some renown over there, I think, but we tend to pick five comedians, one of whom is well known over here, but the rest are people we really like but aren't necessarily big mainstream acts. So there's a lot of things against it in terms of selling the British original over in America. I think you need to really buy into it because there's no American stars in it. And do you see that as quite an important role of the show is to bring through new talent and pair up quite established names with faces who don't get to appear in such you know prime time slots on tv usually Completely. i think yeah i think we try to do three things that i try to do when we're casting it is have big names that people have heard of you know my mum is normally the test of it so we've got lee mack this series which is ever he's a household name here and last time we had johnny vegas and and then also somebody maybe like daisy may cooper in the last series who is huge but not in the panel show world wouldn't normally do this sort of show We've got a real track record of having people like say, Tim Key or Catherine Parkinson or Sally Phillips, people who wouldn't normally do this sort of show, Charlotte Ritchie in the current series. So they can show off a different side to them. And then, like you say, probably most important is being able to introduce newer people. So Moan Rizwan in the last series was definitely a, a breakout star from it. And a lot of people got in touch and said, we haven't heard of him, now we're big fans. And this series, Mike Wozniak, I really hope, well, he was trending after the first one above anyone else in the show and he was probably the least familiar name so i think it's a it's sort of a responsibility of the show but also just a real pleasure to be able to do that and we are you know the contestants were on the series for 10 weeks so by the end of that the viewers know them pretty well yeah i think on the basis of the first episode mike's my kind of front runner to win interesting how much did you have to do with the bleeped version of taskmaster that's started airing in the UK towards the end of last year. So that's in like a 6pm slot. Because obviously family viewing has been such a big thing in the pandemic. Um, yeah. What was the thinking behind that? Well, I think um, we've really pushed for that. Um, all three of us, the two Andys and I, have kids. So the director's kids are teenagers now. I think the oldest is 16, nearly 17, whereas mine are 8, 10 and 11. So they're now watching the show. When we started making it, one of them was a baby. So they were never the audience. But now we can see that their friends are watching it and their mates are watching it. And, and lots of our friends who are parents, they watch it with their kids and they watch 
watch it with their parents. So it's a, it is a cross-generational, it can be a cross-generational watch, which is quite rare. So we were really keen to nurture that whilst also not curbing Greg in any way and not, you know, not censoring the show and not, it, it is a grown-up stupid comedy show. So we didn't want to tell people not to swear. So I think the bleep version is just an easy way of making it accessible to families. And actually it was on E4 at 6, is on 6 o'clock on Sundays. Now we've moved it to all four so you can watch it whenever, which just seems to be how people watch programs now. So I think that's Channel 4 is trying to direct people more to their streaming service. We watch a lot of, sh- this isn't me being their spokesman, but we find a lot at the moment. A lot of our shows like Grace and Perry or Hunted are on all four. So it is useful to just send people there. You see Taskmaster, you see a lot of other programs you like. And yeah, I, I, it's a funny one, the family one, because in a very boring way, I don't think it affects your numbers when they say how many people watched it each week. But I think it's far more important to have families watching it than having the big overnight numbers, if that makes sense. I, I, I'm very happy with, I like some people watching it as appointment to view, but I also really like families getting together at a more convenient time. And um, so during the pandemic, you've been so with Tim Key and Mark Watson, fellow comedians. So um, no more jockeys online, a kind of, I guess, a, a game show as well, or I don't know how you'd describe it, but um, it's a game. Tell, yeah, tell me a bit about that. And also mm. how that relates to going back, I suppose, almost a decade, the game show that you had. Uh, so we need answers and how those yeah. two are connected. Um, well, I suppose it's similar to Taskmaster in that we, Tim, Mark and I met when we were 20 and we were all aspiring comics and that's I think the key to becoming a comedian is to have to strike it lucky and have friends who are also uh, trying to do the same thing and are also making waves so that you can surf on their wake that's a good metaphor um, so we we started together and I lived with Tim and we saw a lot of Mark and we would always play games at home and those games turned into it an Edinburgh show, which was We Need Answers, which is a very stupid quiz where the three of us hosted it and we had bigger names come on. And so it was always sort of punching up. It was always us being cheeky to the bigger boys. So we had people like Daniel Kitson or Jimmy Carr or Nina Conti. We always people who were above us in the comedy ladder, I suppose. And for some reason, BBC Four picked that up as a show. We had 16 episodes of that and then suddenly that disappeared. But it was a really good learning curve. And again, we we were little culty people trying to deal with adults, I suppose. That was the humour. And whilst we're doing that, we played this game called No More Jockeys, which went out as a sort of bonus on YouTube. And we always play it at home or on car journeys. The game is very simple, Nico. It's like a Venn diagram. So I would say something like, Theresa May, No More Politicians. You would then say anyone in the world except politicians. So you might say, Paul Gascoigne, No More Footballers. I then can't say any footballers or politicians. The game carries on and there are some stupid rules. And we always have a drink while doing it. And during lockdown, this is our way of socialising. We would get together on a Thursday night, play the game. And then we thought we might as well record it. And then we thought we might as well put it out on YouTube. So we've put one out every single week. We edit it a little bit. We put music on it and some graphics and it's picked up a bit of a head of steam. But it's not. there's no game plan, really. We, we've done some live versions of it. Uh, so people pay to watch us and we've given some of that money away and we've kept some of it because I suppose it's okay to make a living in the pandemic. But even that comes with a tinge of guilt because we feel like we're at home seeing our mates. But anyway, um, I don't know what's going to happen with it. We, I mean, I think we'll carry on doing it after lockdown ends, but we'll probably do it in person and keep putting them out because I think it's definitely nice for us to put something on YouTube without a single person telling us what we should or shouldn't say and people seem to enjoy watching it so why wouldn't we I suppose I think that's that's the answer really there's not it's just a thing to pass the time that happens to have been decent I'm not saying it's good but it's quite fun um could you potentially kind of 
redevelop it as a TV show or does not everything that, you know, gets a following online need to necessarily end up on TV? Yeah, it's a really good question, I think. It's definitely something that we've thought about because you do automatically think, well, we should try to make it into a TV show. But I do think the landscape is shifting where it's almost the other way around. You you know, things can have a life outside of TV as a podcast or as a YouTube channel. And there are many advantages to that. We can film this just on Zoom and not pay for any equipment or for advertising. Well, as in we don't have to pander to commissioners or play any sort of game. We just put it out. We're completely in control. So I think on this front, we don't have any plans for it to go on telly because I think it would have to change so much, partly because we're three white men in our 40s, which we have no place on telly. As in, there are people who deserve a TV show much more than us, and we're very happy to do what we're doing. We're three mates just doing a fun thing together on, on YouTube. And I think if we did put it on telly, we ne- we would need to address a lot of things about it and make it far more representative of the world. And, and it would just change a lot. So as it is on this project, it's just an online thing. And I hope that came across as representing diversity is really important on telly and I'm completely for it. I just wouldn't want to change this for the sake of it. It would have to change so much. So I think we just want to keep doing a fun thing. Again, I'm slightly worried that sounds negative again. But hopefully you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I do. And um, just finally, obviously, it's been a terrible year for lots of things. But, you know, the live comedy circuit has been one of the, the big things to have been impacted. And comedians, yeah, have had it a hard time over the past 12 months. How optimistic are you of a kind of bounce back and of a return of things like the Fringe Festival and all those things? I am. I tend to be very optimistic about things. So I try not to dwell on what, as as you say, obviously been a horrific year for the live comedy world. Similarly, Similarly to the live music world, which I've got one paw in because I've got a band and they've all their work's dried up. So I think the negatives, apart from the obvious negatives of people not having an income for a year, are we've missed one fringe, we could well miss another. And I think the Edinburgh Fringe is where ideas come to life and where people can really fulfil their potential and also people get spotted by channels. So I think that's two years that we've missed, which is a real shame. But I do look at the positives and I think people have been so creative in lockdown and whilst not earning money, I think people have come up with some really grand breaking stuff which will stick around after COVID is over and there's been some real stars of it I mean Chortle are doing this this website Chortle which is the comedian's go-to comedy site I suppose they're doing a thing called Legends of Lockdown at the moment which I'm not sure is an ideal title but I think it does recognise the creativity that's been going on over the last year and people have mentioned a guy called James Gill who runs a comedy club called Always Be Comedy in London which has been thriving and really been showing off the talents people have John Robertson is, was named yesterday as somebody who's done lots of good work in the pandi- t- pandemic so I think you know it's like a fallow year at Glastonbury that it, things will come back stronger and I would also say that any audiences I've seen in the pandemic but back in September we did a couple of gigs in real life because we were able to and any audiences I've seen online have been so um, generous and keen to laugh and keen to encourage comedians I, I think the six months when we're all back open will be better than ever any we've ever had but there will be a scramble for spots and I, I think people who've had TV work like me know we're lucky enough to try to uh, hopefully uh, make sure people who haven't been so fortunate have a chance to be sort of first in the queue I suppose to get more work I think the comedy industry is a really nice one the circuit is supportive in general and we're small and it's we're we've all we're all in the same boat to some extent we've all started from the same place so I think I think it's a strong community that will survive and thrive yes I mean the cliche is you know we all need a laugh right now it's yeah and I think comedy audiences are really missed going out but I would also say I do think these online gigs some of them are going to survive because lots of people can't travel and like we did a no more jockeys live thing and we had people from I think 80 different countries watching which wouldn't happen if you put on a gig in uh, Reading so there, there is a place for these things and I think we have all learned that there's other ways of doing things
Alex Horn from Taskmaster speaking with Nico Franks. Commercially funded public broadcaster TVNZ is working on a major local production push to raise the profile of New Zealand's content internationally and is seeking more co-pro opportunities with overseas players. Director of content Kate Slater spoke with Nico Franks about how the company adapted to the coronavirus pandemic and came out of it on the other side thanks to the nation's successful containment strategy and how she's working to build the reach of Kiwi output on the global stage. I'm Kate Slater, Director of Content at TVNZ. And the content team looks after all of the programming output for our three channels, uh, TVNZ1, TVNZ2 and TVNZ Duke, and our streaming platform, TVNZ On Demand. So that's all entertainment content, uh, local and acquired, and all sport. Uh, News and Current Affairs sits under an independent part of the, the company. So first things first, how is TVNZ handling the, the ongoing pandemic and the challenges that brings? Yes, well, it's fair to say it was a pretty short, sharp shock um, to everybody, but particularly us here at TVNZ um, with the onset of the pandemic and particularly um, the first lockdown we experienced here in Auckland, well, in New Zealand. Uh, we, of course, stayed on air. We're a 24-7 business uh, and an essential service. So not only did we continue our broadcasting output, our news and current affairs output was more important than ever. So we had the, the dual problem and opportunity of huge audiences coming to us to uh, to get the information that they needed and staying for the entertainment programming while of course they were in behind closed doors and, and had time on their hands. Uh, at the same time of course we, we had advertisers who could no longer operate so our customers had to consider where they put their marketing budgets which had a, an immediate sort of impact on our um, obviously on our revenues. The great thing is, is we've seen a, a much faster recovery than we expected. I think New Zealand's response to the pandemic has meant that the economy got back on its feet much faster than, than we forecast. So we're actually in a really privileged position right now where we managed to really keep our costs under control. There's been a bit of an impact from our um, the shutdown and programming sort of internationally uh, and here, and that our we have had a reduction in the content availability with things being pushed out. Uh, so again, that that's helped with our with our cost containment. But the, of course, the other side of that is that we haven't had the uh, all of the content we would have liked at the times we would have liked it. So we've had to be very adaptable. Uh, a lot of last minute schedule changes. Um, as we, we do now fast follow, you know, most of what we bring to air in New Zealand. So we're, we're hot on the heels of, of the UK and the US, um, bringing things to viewers, which of course means that we didn't have a lot just sitting on the shelf ready to be played. And, and we are very um, tied to the international tech states. Um, and so schedules have moved around a bit, it's fair to say. But what we have been fortunate with is both with the economy rebounding, our production sector was able to get back onto its feet really quickly. So um, we have a four-tier level alert level system in New Zealand with regards to our, our pandemic response. Uh, a level four was the most significant lockdown and that's what we went into almost immediately when, when we were sort of getting significant community outbreak here. That lasted for around eight weeks uh, and then we dropped down to level three. Now we spent that eight weeks getting ready to produce as much as we could uh, in level three, which was still a very restrictive environment, which required distancing both on set and, and behind um, but behind the camera and in front of the camera. But with camera tricks, um, with, with, with people doing their own makeup, you know, a lot of workarounds, we were able to get Shortland Street, our, our um, premier soap, uh, 
back up and running the first day we we went into level three. So the whole production community was extremely responsive and are now you know learning how to how to pr- keep on producing in in different levels of production. So you know we are have been very lucky in that the production sector has been pretty much back to normal for the majority of the time since that initial eight-week lockdown. And, and in Level 3, we are restricted in what we can produce, that's, that's for sure. We can still continue to do some uh, studio-based um, shows where we look at reducing our audience size to ensure distancing. Um, and our, and our you know, Shortland Street can continue to produce, but certainly we're restricted in most other productions continuing. But... Thankfully, those those lockdowns have been relatively short and swift, so we've been been able to get back into the to the swing of things um, quite quickly, which aligns really nicely to the fact that we were looking at a massive tilt towards local. We know with what's happening, you know, with all of the the global distributors coming direct to consumer and the real change in, in viewer behaviour and, and the whole model of how things are, are are really being distributed, that we needed to focus on our own differentiator, which is local, uh, and it's bringing our own stories to New Zealand audiences. So actually, you know, very well correlated with actually the fact that we had around 150 shows local in production at the time of the first lockdown, and, and we're up to about 170 now. So it's a significant amount um, of local content that we're that we're producing, and a significant increase on on the prior year. And Prior to the pandemic, there were collaborations with international players like RTE, the BBC, Viaplay, even you know those competitors like Netflix with uh, the legend of Monkey. So tell me a bit about how those conversations start and how different they are when it's with a podcaster to when it's with a competitor on your doorstep like Netflix. Yes, well, we have been looking at co-productions as a way of getting more local content um, on screen uh, with us for several years now. It's been a, something that we've put quite a lot of focus into. It doesn't really just come about by one way. It comes you know, through multiple avenues. We've worked hard on establishing uh, relationships with like-minded networks. So um, we like to progress things at, or share development slates um, with, with several networks to see if there's a story which lends itself to being told uh, in, in, a, in a co-produced manner or, or in a, in a multi-territory um, manner, such as through an international cast component or story storyline um, that, that works for both territories. We also have our, our producers know that that's the kind of um, content that we're, that, that we're open to, to making and looking for partnerships in that space. And, and many of our production partners here are networked into international um, distributors, either through ownership um, arrangements or through who they, they tend to sell their, their content through. So we kind of leverage those those relationships um, as well. Then through our own distributors, um, such as um, we've got RuPaul's Drag Race um, Down Under, um, which is just rap filming. Uh, and that, that came around a, 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 dis- a discussion actually with our distributor um, of that content. So there's, there's many different ways that those ideas um, come to fruition. Uh, and we just like to be in touch with as many people as we can with the idea that that we kind of start with what what the story is or what the idea is and who we think a, a suitable partner for that might be. Uh, I must say I'm missing the markets for having those conversations because that's where a lot of them took place sort of last year and the year before, which is we're sort of starting to see in production um, at the moment. So we'd like to get some more on the slate. Um, we actually have a number of already developed dramas which are suitable for co-productions where 
we would love to find a national international partner to bring those to life. And of course, because New Zealand's open for business at the moment, um, it's a great opportunity to be making content here. Uh, we have a great thriving production sector, which is actually almost at capacity at the moment because there is so much international and local content being made here at capacity really in, the, in that um, premium drama space it's kind of not across the board um, so look we do think there's an opportunity to be making content here at the moment and in, in the coming year um, in that co-production space and we also have a have a great tax rebate system with the screen production grant which actually makes it really um, attractive particularly when you've got a local broadcaster on board to partner with that definitely lifts those rebates so um, makes it quite an attractive market to make content and quite cost effective for our international partners. And that relationship with Netflix, so did that collaboration on that show work for you in terms of the windowing and is it something you'd, you'd want to repeat? Yes, it did work for us. I think for us, what we're what we're always looking for is is New Zealand as a territory. Um, we don't seek rest of world. Uh, New Zealand is where we are, but we are multi-platform. We are not linear or digital. We are both, uh, and we need to be able to distribute uh, through through our channels through TVNZ on demand for a, a decent length of time. Because particularly when you're looking in the at the scripted space. There is a long tail on that content, and so we like to have a decent amount of time of exclusivity in this territory before it'll drop to non-exclusivity. We found that Acorn is a really great partner for us in that space, and, and we're doing a, a number of um, co-productions with them. They have got a presence in this market, and it's a and it's a decent presence. So what we look at doing is taking a, an exclusive window and and then sort of dropping to a non-exclusive window to allow our streaming partners to to have the global exposure and ultimately they're you know they're monetized in different ways tvnz on demand is an ad funded service if you want to watch it without ads you can go to the streamer and watch it so we see that as working quite well we haven't had a, a co-production with netflix for a while it's fair to say um and they can be quite restrictive on the the rights they're looking for um for you know for the for the co-production partner so we definitely prefer, prefer to, to work with partners who recognize that that a bit of time to exploit this content as well and to really make it in our, in our And you mentioned a few shows that are on your slate that are looking for co-production partners. Are they in a genre that we're, we've seen quite a lot in that space, so kind of crime, um, usually, you know, police officers from different countries working together, or are there other areas you're exploring? There's a real mix. We have some really interesting ones around why people come to New Zealand. You know, there's the survivalists. So we've got, a, you know, a great story in that space. We've got some 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 good relationship drama that again lends itself to an international coming here. We've got a we've got a story about um, someone escaping authorities, but it's not so much a, a a police chase one as someone sort of getting themselves entwined in a in a kind of a drug kind of um, whole criminal underworld here. So look, there's a whole mix. It's definitely all in the scripted space and in the more complex sort of serialized. Um, drama space, but yeah, it's certainly quite a diverse slate that we've got. Um, some based on New Zealand IP, book IP existing, uh, and some sort of original um, ideas. And uh, New Zealand IP, that's one of the big key drivers for uh, the premium productions for International Audiences Fund. So how are you looking to interact with that? Yeah, so we're working with a number of uh, local producers uh, in terms of their aspirations to make content under under that fund. 
We are quite restricted in New Zealand. In terms of the, our market scale, we are very reliant on other sources of funding to be able to make drama. It's not something that we as a broadcaster are able to uh, afford to produce alone, uh, just given the, the scale of, of the investment versus the return on it. Um, so we are very reliant on our local funding body, New Zealand On Air, which is a contestable funding body. That is how public service media is funded um, in the television sector or the, the video sector in New Zealand. But Really, they can probably afford to do three dramas a year. So we as an industry can afford to do two, three dramas a year. So the, the premium production fund, I think, is really exciting in that it can unlock more opportunities to make a greater amount of New Zealand content. Uh, and the idea behind it, obviously, is that it's New Zealand content which can export. Uh, so I think that's really exciting. I think what we've seen is that there is an appetite for New Zealand content internationally. And I think that this gives us an opportunity to see if we can build a, a collection of content which can be exported and, and kind of give New Zealand a bit of a, a voice in terms of a similar theme or tone um, to our programming, which, which does come through when you've got enough of a critical mass of it to kind of sell within the market. At the moment our, our drama tends to be grouped with Australian drama by distributors when they're looking to pitch it to the market because they're probably only selling one if any at any given time. So I think that's really exciting. So we've got some really exciting projects um, that we're supporting for the Premium Production Fund uh, and yeah we've just got our fingers crossed. And a key part of the New Zealand identity is its diversity and it's such a diverse country so how are you working with Maori and Pacifica storytellers? to express their stories on screen. Yeah, this is extremely important to us. Uh, and something I think our Māori and Pacifica slate has something like quadrupled over the past sort of 12 to 24 months. So we are massively stepping up our storytelling in this space because we know audiences want it. Uh, and it's such an important part of who we are. Um, and that's local audiences. But as I mentioned, I think there's a real opportunity for international audiences as well because the content that we see resonating internationally is unapologetically Kiwi. It represents our indigenous culture. Uh, it represents our landscapes. And it re represents our unique kind of Kiwi sensibility. Um, so I think shows like like The Casketeers, like the success of Taika um, and, and his shows, um, I think just show there's a real um, appetite for that content internationally. So Māori stories are really important for what we deliver as TVNZ. We're mandated under the TVNZ Act to reflect Māori perspectives, but for us it's bigger than that. It's actually just about telling the stories of our people um, and, and the diversity um, and difference of, of our cultural backgrounds in a way that resonates with people, in a way that everyone can see themselves reflected on screen in some story. So it's a real diverse slate that we've got at the moment. Traditionally there's also always been a, a lot of UK content on New Zealand television. We're also seeing streaming services you know really invest in UK content and you mentioned Acorn TV earlier which is kind of its modus operandi. So how is that impacting TVNZ's relationship with UK content? Our viewers love UK content um, so it's still a really really important part of our content slate and our international um, content slate both on channels um, particularly TVNZ One, uh, but increasingly on TVNZ On Demand. The appetite for UK event drama on TVNZ On, on Demand is kind of insatiable. Every time we release one, it, it jumps into the top 10 and it becomes the most talked about thing that week until everyone's watched it and then moves on to the next thing. Uh, and look, we're lucky we have long-running partnerships with, with ITV and BBC, so we do continue to uh, you know, acquire a significant volume of content 
from them um, as well as through our, our distribution um, partners. At the moment we see ourselves coexisting with the streamers very well in this space because we're sort of buying for our market and have these relationships I think that we are still in the game when it comes to, to accessing um, the content. So I hope that will continue for a while because I, I feel like we're a good partner for those distributors, for those for those networks um, to, to reach an audience which you know which has a real appetite for that content here but you need a you need a collection of it you need a volume of it you need people need to know that that's where they go to for that kind of content so it fits really well into the TVNZ on demand ecosystem um, it's a you know provides a, a great it's part of our breadth offering um, but it is an, a really important part you've also had success uh, remaking UK formats so Taskmaster NZ it's very popular here and also the great Kiwi Bake Off as well. So when you're adapting a, a UK format, how do you tweak it for the New Zealand audience and do you have any more in the pipeline? Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of UK content which just works here, lifts and shifts. Comedy is always something, as you'll know, often needs to be adapted for an individual market to reflect kind of the unique sense of humour of a, of a territory. And there's a lot of UK comedy which doesn't translate here very well, but there's a lot that is. Taskmaster... We've really been quite true to the format there, but it's always down to the casting and the comedians, and that's something we've obviously worked incredibly hard on, building that ensemble cast that really works together um, as a unit. When you look at the Taskmaster, again, the show is so impacted, I suppose, by the personality of of the Taskmaster host um, of those shows. So that gives it a different look and feel as well. But in terms of the basic format, all of the elements are there. um, And I think it's a terrific show and and it's done incredibly well for us. Bake Off, we we took what really worked in the British version as well. And we loved the comedic aspects and and we we used those. But again, our comedians have their own inherent sense of humour and that is reflected on screen. What I love about that show, it's just just the nicest show on television. It's such an antidote to a lot of the other reality, which where people are are cast for the the non-skill-based activity that they'll bring to screen. Whereas, you know, Bake Off just is, it's just a lovely show and, and it's just, cast because you're a great baker and you know and we see that support and delight on screen we've tried to replicate again that that joy um that feeling of that show of the british version and our and our uk version the other show we have in production at the moment is the apprentice aotearoa um so that is very much following again the uk format um lord sugar's uh style as a as a host um the u.s version has kind of, I think, tainted the format a little, um, particularly in this market. So we are absolutely looking to kind of restore our viewers' kind of view of it as, as it back originally was, which is just a, a really fun show about budding entrepreneurship and, and thinking outside the box. And, um, and, and when it applies to New Zealand, you know, that real sort of what we call the number eight wire mentality, which is being able to make anything with a, with a, with a coil of wire, um, which, look, I, I can't wait to see, see the show. I've seen some, some early bits and, and really looking great. Kate Slater from TVNZ speaking with Nico Franks. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. 